Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And first, before we get started, I want to thank everybody that pointed out a number of the things that you're about to see in this video. I always like getting messages from folks about what you are interested in hearing about and seeing on this channel. So please continue to do so. One of the big topics that was asked of me in the past five or so days is to reflect on this video that you can see on your screen right now about former President Trump's lawsuit against Facebook, as I reviewed it. He also sued Twitter, uh, I believe. And as you can see in the thumbnail here, I said it was very unlikely to work out well for him. I think as of this point in time, I might remove the word very and just say that it's unlikely to work out well for him because the White House and more particularly the Biden administration and various folks in senior positions of the Biden administration really do appear to be trying to make Trump's case for him. Now, if you didn't watch that 55 or so minute video, I can't hardly blame you. So we'll do a brief summary of what's going on with this particular lawsuit. First of all, it all relates to the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, which says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. It says some other stuff too. But for purposes of this particular conversation, it says Congress, the U.S. government, the various state governments as applied by other amendments that we don't need to go into. They won't pass laws. They won't take government action that abridges free speech or freedom of writing of the press. And so President Trump has sued Facebook essentially for the moderation decisions it took against him. Said defendant Facebook has increasingly engaged in impermissible censorship resulting from threatened legislative action, a misguided reliance upon Section 230 of the Communications Act, and willful participation in joint activity with federal actors. Defendant Facebook's status thus rises beyond that of a private company to that of a state actor. Now, why is that important? Well, because, as you can probably surmise from reading the First Amendment, it doesn't apply to you or me or even corporations that we might create and run. Usually, it only applies to the state, whether the federal government, the state governments, or some other variant thereof. In fact, the Supreme Court, as I discussed in that prior video, has recently discussed this issue, which is why it makes it such a difficult case for President Trump to make. Or as Justice Kavanaugh said here in the case of Manhattan Community Access Corporation versus Halleck, the free speech clause of the First Amendment constrains government actors and protects private actors. To draw the line between governmental and private, this court applies what is known as the state action doctrine. This state action case concerns the public access channels on Time Warner's cable system in Manhattan. The question here is whether MNN, even though it is a private entity like a Facebook, nonetheless is a state actor when it operates the public access channels. In other words, is operation of public access channels on a cable system a traditional exclusive public function, which is what this case was in particular about. Now, no one is going to win an argument that Facebook is a traditional exclusive public function. The government of the United States and of the states themselves have not exclusively run internet forums as a pastime in American history. So that's never going to play. But in this very case, the court reserves some other possibilities for when you might be able to sue a Facebook or some other social media platform and say, I can sue you for violations of the First Amendment because you are effectively acting as an arm of the state, a state actor. And what are those circumstances? Well, as the case says, under these courts' cases, a private entity can qualify as a state actor in a few limited circumstances. One, when the private entity performs a traditional exclusive public function. Two, when the government compels the private entity to take a particular action. Or three, when the government acts jointly with the private entity. 
And when you take a look at Trump's case, as we pointed out in that earlier video, you can see that his lawyers are trying to attach their argument to the concept of coercion, of encouragement by the government and or joint activity with the government to get them out of what would be the easiest defense for Facebook to say, hey, you know, we're not Congress. We're not the government. You can't sue us on any of these grounds. Now, one of the weaknesses of Trump's case, as we established in that earlier video, is that they don't have a lot of great examples of what we would consider coercion, right? If we look at the case that the Supreme Court cites here, Bloom versus Uretsky, as covering that when the government compels a private entity to take a particular action, that private entity might be a state actor, we can see that the court in that case says, although the factual setting of each case will be significant, we're always looking at facts and circumstances in the law, our precedents indicate that a state normally can be held responsible for a private decision only when it has exercised coercive power or has provided such significant encouragement, either overt or covert, that the choice must in law be deemed to be that of the state. Mere approval of or acquiescence in the initiatives of a private party is not sufficient to justify holding the state responsible for those initiatives. Now, a couple of people in the comments to that prior video pointed out that Bloom here is actually talking about a lawsuit that tries to drag the state in as a party for the actions of another. So that's why you see some of the language here that says when a state can be held responsible for another party. However, as we just saw in the Kavanaugh opinion here and as the court adopted, the Bloom standard is also, at least in this context, something that the court looks at in determining whether a private party can be considered the state as a state actor under the state action requirement of a First Amendment complaint. So even though this language doesn't talk about the private party becoming the state and instead talks about the state being on the hook for the private party's action, trust me that as of right now, the concept here that if you arrive at coercive power or significant encouragement, either overt or covert on the part of the state, could lead a private party into potential legal problems under any constitutional doctrine, but as we're talking about it right now, the First Amendment. Now, it's also worth noting that it's a very, very difficult bar to clear, where the Trump lawsuit basically just says, hey, they pulled us in front of Congress. They tweeted things about Section 230. Nancy Pelosi, I do think that for the privilege of 230, there has to be a bigger sense of responsibility. There is no constitutional protection for using social media to incite an insurrection. Trump is willing to do anything for himself, Representative Adam Schiff. And as this case says, Democrat legislators not only voiced their threats, for example, new regulations and removing Section 230 immunity to social media platforms, but also employed additional measures to deliver their unmistakable message that they were prepared to act against the social media platforms if defendants did not increase their censorship of disfavored views and content. Now, I don't think the evidence for these particular claims as put forth in this case and in respect of, in particular, President Trump's moderation off of Facebook for a couple of years is terribly strong. However, in the past week or so, it would seem that the Biden administration is doing everything in its power to make Trump's case for him. And why do I say that? Again, a number of these stories and concepts were linked to me, and I thank people for showing me these that are out there because I obviously am not sitting around listening to presidential press secretary speeches and whatnot, but it is interesting and it is important. So here we have Newsweek, Biden administration's admission, they're flagging content to Facebook sparks furor. White House officials are notifying Facebook about posts that allegedly spread COVID-19 misinformation. And of course, misinformation is unfortunately something that's going to be very, very difficult to define for anybody, including the government 
and Facebook. That'll be a part of the story that we tell in this video. Saki said part of the Biden administration's new campaign involves asking social media companies to be more active in combating misinformation and to share the results of their efforts publicly. Now, there's nothing wrong in that description, even if the government does it, right? The government can ask anybody to do anything. It doesn't cross the line to making you a state actor, to potentially getting you sued, to causing trouble for the government itself until it's coercive or that the encouragement is so strong as to be conceived of as the action of the state itself. Now, obviously, that standard isn't terribly useful. That'll be in the eye of the beholders like so much of this conversation. But it's worth noting that just asking somebody to do something, just saying, hey, we'd love it if you did that thing, doesn't make a Facebook or a Twitter or you or I a state actor that has to worry about violating the First Amendment. Saki continues, we are in regular touch with these social media platforms, and those engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff, which is important because it's not just some low-level functionary that's calling Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook or whomever. It's actual senior staff, people that you would recognize by name when discussing the Biden administration. That implies a certain amount of, let's call it importance with the communication that they're conveying to Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. We are flagging problematic posts for Facebook that spread disinformation, and they're also working with folks to boost trusted content. Now, I've got videos in virtual reality that you can check out that talk about issues with, in particular, Google and YouTube's authoritative sources problem and how that puts somebody like, say, me in a difficult situation when I'm not an authority like ABC News on even things like Section 230 or legal questions because of the way the algorithms work. But putting that aside, it's worth noting here that the government is admitting to telling Facebook what it thinks is wrong and presuming that Facebook will act to have it removed. So just on an intuitive basis, separating coercion and encouragement, you do have a government that is telling a private actor that they think this information is really potentially dangerous. We'll see that come up again and again in their conversations here. And that their expectation is that that private actor will remove it and boost trusted content, presumably content that's vetted by them that they approve of. Now, even if you don't arrive at a constitutional issue or a legal issue with respect to that kind of circumstance. And when people originally asked me about this, when it happened, I think it was five days ago, I said, well, that makes the case a little bit stronger on Trump's side, but still the court is going to be reluctant to go and tell Facebook that they have a First Amendment problem. This is a drop in the bucket for what has happened in the past couple of days. So continuing on, a few days after this, we got a press conference, a press briefing by Press Secretary Saki on July 16th, 2021. And this launched a thousand internet ships and we can scroll and we can scroll and we can scroll and we can see when we actually look at what was said here, the question was, hey, you're talking to Facebook about these things? She says, it shouldn't come as any surprise that we're in regular touch with social media platforms. Okay, it comes as a mild surprise, but not too terribly unusual. And you all make decisions just like the social media platforms make decisions. You'll also see an effort here in this particular press conference to say in a number of different ways, hey, Facebook does what it wants. Just because we tell them that we would really like this to be down because we think it's dangerous and kills people, more on that in a second, that doesn't mean that they have to do anything. We're just telling them it's a shame if something would happen to your Facebook platform. And then has Facebook been as proactive as the White House would like in terms of its response to those flags? Well, I think as I noted yesterday, Phil, there is more. There are more steps that everyone can take. 
as we know, it is also, there are also areas where a lot of people get news and information. Sometimes those are accurate news items reported by some of your outlets or inaccurate information shared by a neighbor or accurate information. Sometimes there's information that is not. It is hard to discriminate, as we know. This is not a new issue, but it's an issue that is impacting people's lives. Now, one of the interesting kind of philosophical points here is I entirely agree with Press Secretary Saki here that it is very difficult to ascertain the source of information, and especially when it's anonymously sourced or someone that you don't recognize and where it comes from, and especially in what amounts to an 18-month period where information is changing every day. And what was misinformation yesterday is information tomorrow and might be misinformation again the day after tomorrow. And so it is hard to discriminate, but that also extends to the U.S. government, its agencies, and most importantly for this conversation, Mark Zuckerberg. And so just as a philosophical point, I would look at this and say, if it's hard to determine, it's hard to determine for everybody, with some rare exceptions on the far edges of what's clearly crazy talk. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others if you are providing misinformation out there. And here's where we get what was reported on widely with respect to this press conference. So you've got Press Secretary Saki going out there the day before or maybe a couple of days before this particular press conference saying things like we talk to Facebook, we flag it for them, we boost trusted sources. And people came out and said, wow, that sure sounds like they are your puppet and you're controlling what it is that they do. Then you have a line like this that says, not only should you be banned from the platform where you did the thing, we're also going to signal as the U.S. government that other platforms should be paying attention to those bans and banning them all. Or more insidiously, if you just decide to put the tinfoil hat fully on, that all of these groups should act together on everything and have a cabal of some kind, which would probably violate antitrust laws. But we're not so concerned with that in this particular press conference. But you also get weirdness here, right? We talked about misinformation. We're going to take a little sojourn here because of how delicate of a question it is, right? I mentioned that it's difficult for the government to figure out what's misinformation. It's difficult for Mark Zuckerberg. It's difficult for you and I to figure out what's misinformation. But Saki and the Biden administration here take a very hardline stance. Misinformation should be killed. If you are showing misinformation, you should be banned. And then yet, not a couple of minutes later in this press conference, you get a reference like this from the press secretary that says, certainly pushing information out there that these tested approved vaccines are ineffective and unhelpful. A lot of people on these platforms, they're not discriminating, as you all know, between the source of the information, and that is damaging as well. So we've seen that trend. And why did I highlight approved vaccines? Well, because you don't have to have been on the internet very long to know that an emergency use authorization, which is what the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are made available for in the United States, is not an approval. In fact, the FDA makes that clear. Under an EUA, FDA may allow the use of unapproved medical products. And in fact, they have EUA rules that say that Moderna or Pfizer has to tell people that. FDA must ensure that recipients of the vaccine under an EUA are informed to the extent practicable, given the applicable circumstances that FDA has authorized the emergency use of the vaccine, of the known and potential benefits and risks, the extent to which such benefits and risks are unknown, that they have the option to accept or refuse the vaccine and of any available alternatives to the product. And Moderna, as just an example, does exactly that. On their page discussing the vaccines, the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine has not been approved or licensed by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, but has been authorized for emergency use by FDA under an emergency use authorization. There is no FDA-approved vaccine to prevent COVID-19, and you should know that there are potential risks to it. There are benefits, certainly. They say there are benefits. We think it's been shown to prevent COVID-19 following two doses. The duration of protection is currently unknown. 
Risks are also unknown. You could have a severe allergic reaction that happens with respect to every vaccine, but there's also myocarditis that they call out, pericarditis that they call out, general side effects, which are a little bit more vaccine normal. And then you get to the bottom here, which says these may not be all the possible side effects of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. Serious and unexpected side effects may occur. The Moderna COVID-19 vaccine is still being studied in clinical trials. Now, just from reading this Moderna fact sheet, I half expect YouTube to demonetize this video. So, you know, keep an eye on that kind of thing. But there is no question that this is just information. It's not misinformation. And that reasonable minds can, in fact, differ as to whether or not this is all a good idea. And that's at the crux of this kind of misinformation debate. We're talking about it with respect to vaccines, but it's important to understand that misinformation and information are kissing cousins and what may be information to one might be misinformation to another. And so that's why the founders of the United States, the First Amendment in general, said the government really shouldn't be deciding what information is acceptable for the people to disseminate and discuss. Obviously, in a pandemic and with respect to emergency use vaccines, there are other rules around the edges that allow the governments of the United States, including the federal government and whatever state you might be living in, if you are living in the United States, some leeway there to protect public health. But when you've got the press secretary of the United States saying, essentially, if you spread misinformation, you should be banned from everywhere, then describing this as approved, then when she's called out on it saying, well, I don't think it's necessarily tied to or necessarily tied to whether it's been formally approved or not, when every reference to approval says this is not approved. And if you actually go and you look at something like the New York Times op-ed page here, a director of the FDA says any vaccine approval without completion of the high quality review and evaluation that Americans expect the agency to perform would undermine the FDA's statutory responsibilities. That's why we aren't approving it right now, even though there was an editorial in the New York Times that suggested that they should, says, hey, that means, just reading the lines here, that whatever the FDA usually does to approve their pharmaceutical products and their vaccinations hasn't been done yet, that they haven't completed the high quality review and evaluation. And you should be able to say those things and still determine that the vaccine is okay with you or it's not okay with you. But even when I say that half sentence, which I'm not advocating as a policy position, that's the kind of thing that can get flagged, which we will see in some of Facebook's terms as we discuss this further. So you've got a press secretary out here that's saying, hey, all misinformation should die. The only acceptable kind of commentary is that it's fake, is that it's safe and effective. And also noting for the people, we don't take anything down. We don't block anything. That's all up to Facebook. The message that should be out there is the same for everyone. The vaccines are safe. They're effective. Now, if you don't have that message, well, maybe you should get in a little trouble, not just with Facebook or Twitter that you posted on, but everywhere, despite the fact that I am not playing particularly carefully with the notion of whether or not the vaccine has been approved from normal FDA approval policies. Now, that's only kind of the tip of the iceberg because after this press conference or the same day, you have things like President Biden himself going out with, they're killing people. Mr. Biden told reporters at the White House on Friday, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. The White House has been increasing pressure on social media companies to tackle disinformation, as reported on here by the BBC, who did the best summary, which is why we used them as the source. And of course, Facebook took offense to their killing people and took offense pretty substantially 
At a time when COVID-19 cases are rising in America, the Biden administration has chosen to blame a handful of American social media companies. And in their defense, they say, hey, we've already taken action on all eight of the Surgeon General's recommendations on what tech companies can do to help. That's right. The, uh, the Surgeon General actually puts forth a document here called Confronting Health Misinformation and says, what can technology platforms do? Well, they can give research access to more data. They can proactively address information deficits. They can amplify communications from trusted messengers and subject matter experts, predominantly those that are going to be working for the United States federal government. Facebook says, hey, we already did that because we're trying to be a good citizen or maybe because we were threatened, but we'll get to that in just a second. Of course, Facebook has taken a pretty broad swath approach to this. They say, if you call to action advocating that others not get the COVID-19 vaccine, we can prohibit you. We can punish you as falsehoods, as misinformation. If you say something like uh, COVID-19 vaccines contribute to vaccine rejection, that they do not exist or have not been approved, that could be a cause of a penalty on Facebook. Now, we just talked about the fact that they aren't approved. They're authorized, which are kissing cousins, but they're different kind of frameworks. That doesn't mean that the vaccine doesn't work. It doesn't mean that the vaccine isn't effective. It does mean that it's not approved and words have meaning. And if you're going to have the government enforcing and encouraging this kind of behavior, Facebook taking these kinds of actions, you potentially run into trouble because they're not being terribly careful. The actual government's not being terribly careful. And if they aren't both being careful, then you get into situations like this. Claims that there are no FDA approved COVID-19 vaccines if that content also suggests the vaccines are unsafe, ineffective, experimental, or have not been appropriately tested. Otherwise, we will allow claims that the FDA has not approved the vaccine, even though this bullet says you can't make any statement about them not being approved. So a good document right here anyway. Or make a clear distinction between a full FDA approval and an emergency use authorization with appropriate context. Now, hopefully we're not on Facebook right now, but we presented that appropriate context. We talked about it. We had an FDA page. We talked about what Moderna actually said about these things, but the point is, haven't been approved, and that reasonable minds can differ on actually calculating risks and certainty and future action, and it doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong. You also can't claim that COVID-19 vaccines kill or seriously harm people, including all these various things, blood clots, which are actually part and parcel to discussions we've been having for months, but what you don't see referenced here is that, hey, as Moderna actually says, there are potentially what they consider to be low risk chances of things like myocarditis and pericarditis. And somebody could look at that and say, well, I don't know about my risk for COVID. I know those risks and they could balance them in a way that's different from you or I or the next person down the street. And the U.S. government and Facebook are working together to say, nope, you're not allowed to say any of these kinds of things because it could potentially keep vaccines down. And that's more important than honestly anything else. Which leads us to what Biden did in the past couple of days and more specifically what happened this morning. So we've got Biden trying to walk that back, right? When Biden says they're killing people and that Facebook needs to be looked at and they're actively contributing to death and harm, that tends to be fighting words, as we saw from Facebook's post. So he walks that back yesterday. He says, whoa, 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 I didn't mean any of that. As this is reported on by ABC, he tried to clean up his comments about the social media giant, saying he hopes Facebook doesn't take it personally. Let me say what I said. I'm glad you asked that question, Biden began. It was pointed out that Facebook, of all the misinformation, 60% of the misinformation came from 12 individuals. That's what the article said. Facebook isn't killing people. So a direct reversal of what he said a couple of days before this. 
these 12 people are out there giving misinformation. Anyone listening to it is getting hurt by it. It's killing people. It's bad information. My hope is that Facebook, instead of taking it personally, that somehow I'm saying Facebook is killing people, that they would do something about the misinformation, the outrageous misinformation about the vaccine. That's what I meant. When you say hold accountable, I'm not trying to hold people accountable. I'm trying to make people look at themselves, look in the mirror. And you can imagine backroom calls about this from Facebook or to the Biden administration or what have you. But certainly one of the notions was the more pressure they put on Facebook, the more it looks like coercion, the more it starts to look like when Facebook does something, they are probably getting close to the line of being a state actor. Now, the courts in the United States never liked that argument. So there's still a very high hurdle to clear for anybody that brings that claim, whether it's President Trump's lawsuit or somebody that comes later after these conversations have happened. So that's still ridiculously unlikely, but it gets more and more likely when you say these things. And so the Biden administration was wise to look at everything here and say, well, to be honest, I didn't mean to suggest we were in a battle or war with Facebook. That's actually a little bit later on here. It says, simply put, healthy misinformation has cost us lives. And Press Secretary Saki says, I don't want to take any options off the table. That's up to Congress to determine how they want to proceed moving forward. But let me just note that we're not in a war or a battle with Facebook. It's just that, hey, these bad things could potentially be happening until you get to this morning where we have in a CNBC article, White House says social media networks should be held accountable for spreading misinformation. Now, you might think to yourself, didn't we just hear a quote where President Biden actually said, I'm not trying to hold anybody accountable? And you'd be correct in that. Uh, But the communications director for his administration says otherwise. Social media giants should be held accountable for publishing misinformation, the White House communications director said Tuesday. When asked by MSNBC's Mika Brzezinski whether these companies should be held liable for publishing false information that causes people harm, Kate Bedingfield said the administration is reviewing policies. That could include amending the Communications Decency Act or Section 230. We're reviewing that, and certainly they should be held accountable. And I think you've heard the president speak very aggressively about this. He understands this is an important piece of the ecosystem. Now, what's weird about all of this is that 230 is an odd thing to suggest amending to get at the Facebooks of the world. And you also see another weird thing as part of these quotes. And I can't tell you whether the communication director is just an idiot on these kinds of things, is speaking out of school, out of turn, hasn't talked to White House lawyers about this. But then you get this kind of quote at the end here, which is even more problematic, where she says, again, I would go back to there are conservative outlets who are creating irresponsible content that are sharing misinformation about the virus that's getting shared on these platforms. And when you frame it on a conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, Green Party, Libertarian, whatever basis, you really start to sound like a government that is looking to punish the thought process and political philosophies of your political opposition, which if there is anything the First Amendment is aimed at, It's basically that. So while I don't think that Facebook is necessarily going to be held as a state actor, we're getting closer and closer and closer to the line when you've got the government out there in public saying, we're going to look to take away some of your protections. As I mentioned, 230 is a weird entry point because even though it's the focal point for a lot of internet discussions, it doesn't create a cause of action on its own. All 
CDA 230 does is present a safe harbor. So it says, hey, Facebook, you're not responsible for what somebody else says. That's a safe harbor. And if you moderate somebody, you're not responsible for that moderation. You can't get in trouble because of it. That's a safe harbor. If you take away 230 in its entirety, you still have to find a liability vector from somewhere. And as it stands right now, First Amendment jurisprudence is very clear. You're allowed to lie. You're allowed to be deceptive. You're allowed to say things that are wrong. You're allowed to spread misinformation because under the United States Constitution, the freedom of speech is paramount. So unless you're looking to amend the Constitution or change something else that I'm not thinking of, that the Biden administration isn't thinking of, that presumably Congress isn't thinking of, the complete removal of 230 doesn't open Facebook up to liability. So this is a weird threat. But more specifically, it's a weird threat because it does target what is useful to Facebook, which is this notion that Facebook isn't liable for the actions of another. Now, as I just pointed out, that doesn't make them liable for misinformation. Generally speaking, it could make them liable for things like, oh, who knows, uh, intellectual property issues, defamation issues, things that other people can get in trouble for, could potentially find its way to make trouble for the Facebooks of the world. And of course, the DMCA comes in and there's all sorts of things that interact in interesting ways. We're speaking out of school ourselves because we don't even know what's being proposed by Biden here. But it starts to look more and more like a threat because it doesn't target what they are apparently actually concerned about with his vaccine misinformation. It does, however, target something that Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and others think is valuable to them, that they aren't responsible for the speech of another. And when you say that, you target that. And it's a threat that shouldn't just be skipped. We go back to Joe Biden's interview with the New York Times before he was elected president. And he said, I've never been a big Zuckerberg fan. I think he's a real problem. The idea that it's a tech company is that Section 230 should be revoked, immediately should be revoked, number one. The interviewer says, that's a pretty foundational law of the modern internet. That's right, exactly right. And it should be revoked. It should be revoked because it is not merely an internet company. It is propagating falsehoods they know to be false. And we should be setting standards, not unlike the Europeans are doing relative to privacy. And look, this is an interview before he was elected. The executive branch isn't actually in charge of these things, but you do now have a United States government that is threatening something that Facebook thinks is valuable, saying they should be held accountable for not doing what the government suggests that they do. And while I still don't think you've necessarily crossed the threshold for a President Trump or other victory on this metric, it's like the White House is trying to establish this case for them. And so I think they should be very, very cautious here. I think Facebook should be very concerned. I think everybody in the internet age should be concerned about the stupidity of the White House and to some extent, the stupidity of Facebook combined with some pretty crazy lawsuits and the resulting bad law potentially becoming sacrosanct and harming all of our individual interactions with the internet based on what amounts to bad facts, vaccines, and definitions of misinformation that nobody can quite get right. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy talking about things like big technology, lawsuits, vaccines, and whatnot, please consider supporting us on Patreon, especially since I don't think YouTube is potentially going to love this video very much, or otherwise just subscribing, telling your friends about Virtual Legality, about the conversations we're having here. Hopefully they're informational, hopefully they're educational, hopefully they're entertaining. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. 
Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.